up, everything? Well, all good things come to an end eventually, and the Blues' streak of six consecutive playoff appearances has done just that. Though they found some heat towards the end of the year, it fizzled out just in time to send the Avalanche to their demise in Nashville and the Blues to their respective demise on the golf course. How did the Blues respond to their early exit? How many mirrors will they have to look in this week and in the months to come? We'll discuss all that ahead, so let's get started and let's go Armstrongs. here we're coming to you live from that door that is big enough to fit us and all our podcasting equipment and rose in the movie Mm. titanic but is not big enough to save leo dicaprio get out (laughs) get gone leo go find a bear in the woods your oscar will come in two decades we're here we're back it is thursday april 12th uh, we are reunited, and it feels so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Stephen Ground. I'm here with my co-host, Ian Peters, who is back from his long trip to uh, Asia, mostly Japan, but some of Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Ian? Konnichiwa, Stephen. <laughs> this pretty... whole podcast will be simulcast in English and Japanese. Mm, I'm very cultured now. Uh. I think I've learned an awful lot. About the world, America is awful, Stephen. <laughs> let me tell you why. You just come back as a real pretentious yeah. a-hole from like a I movie. Think, I think hockey is barbaric. <laughs> I believe the real sport of the world is ping pong. Oh, baby. <laughs> the speed they play it at, I couldn't complain. It's Two paddles, even. no ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's our new names, folks. There's going to be a gong at the end of that intro. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Before we go any farther, I would like to send uh, my love and thanks to our two wonderful co-hosts, mm. uh, Justin Horniker, who filled in in the happy week where the Blues won a lot, <laughs> and Tommy Hummel, who helped hold down the fort last week when we were suffering together uh, through endless and meaningful Blues uh, defeats. I enjoyed recording both of those episodes. Uh, while I'm happy to have Ian back, it was a lot of fun to have you all on. I've heard good feedback from mm-hmm. folks, so I'm glad that you all were here. Those were great to listen and to. And your fantastically large checks will be in the mail to the addresses I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, thank you guys for uh, joining us, and uh, we will have... You all again the next time Ian goes to Japan. <laughs> Those were fun. That was fun to listen to a, a podcast where I didn't know what was going to happen. It was your podcast, but it wasn't you. That does have to be weird. It's like watching your baby that I don't have <laughs> learn to walk or something. It's different if it's yours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how? So tell us, how was Japan? Tell us all about it. It was a lot of fun. I, I, I always seem to undersell trips because I'm afraid to like go overboard with people. I'm afraid to be like, oh, it was unbelievable. You'll never see a place like it. But that's, I mean, that's kind of how I feel. It's just, they're both amazing countries. We went to Busan, South Korea, where a friend of mine teaches English at an international school. Um, 
So I guess English as I learned English, the subject, not English, the language, nice. because it's the kids that are um, proficient. Yeah, tend to, tend to be able to speak English. And it's more for like if their parents are business people that live in Busan or something like that. And they, they need a school to be taught in because a lot of these Korean school I mean, you got to speak Korean. It mm-hmm. only makes sense. And mm-hmm. they cannot. So <laughs> they go to a different school. Um, Busan's an amazing city. It's kind of, it's 4.5 million people, which is a lot of people. Um, small compared to Tokyo, but it's still really cool. It's kind of Big nestled compared to Saint. Yeah, exactly. And this door that we're broadcasting <laughs> from. It's very cold in the Atlantic <laughs> Ocean. Um, yeah, it's it's nestled between like the Sea of Japan and all these mountains. It's kind of interesting. It doesn't really spread out in a t- traditional sense because it doesn't really have anywhere to go. So it's just kind of along the coast and in and around mountains. We mm-hmm. went up a mountain, saw the coastline, saw the city. It was amazing. It's got tons of beaches. No one's really on it. South Koreans don't really like. To get sun, like mm. skin-wise, they try and stay pretty pale. As far as like looks go, that's the look over there. So it's kind of interesting that they're on the beach, but like fully covered. So there you go. Right. Um, and, to each their own, I suppose. Yeah, great food. Um, as they say, Gangnam Style. <laughs> I was really hoping to hear that song over there, because uh-huh. I mean, that's their song. And I, part of me made... It, because I didn't hear it, I kept thinking, you know what? Maybe they don't care. <laughs> Maybe internationally it's amazing. Um, and then Tokyo and Kyoto were amazing, too. I mean, Tokyo's 37 million people. You're going through a sea of humans everywhere you go. Uh, That's an I, inconceivable number of yeah. human beings. The, the city goes on forever. We took a train ride an hour west of downtown Tokyo, and we were still in urban Tokyo. It just keeps going in every direction. It's an amazing city. I highly recommend going. It's... I would compare it, I guess, to New York City, just in the sense of the scale of how big it is. It's not nearly as tall, but it's most certainly wider. I mean, there's more places for it to go. Mm. Um, Food's amazing. We had sushi. We had yakitori, which is just like various meats on sticks. You got your beef tongue and your chicken gizzard and your standard standard fare. Typical meats Mm -hmm. that you put on sticks. Yeah. Cool, tiny little bars that fit only, like, five human beings, where that seems inconceivable. It's like a kitchen closet filled with people, because that's as much room as they get. So it's nice and cozy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an amazing trip. We went out to Mount Fuji, saw some really some really cool... Ah, but did you go to Mount Midoriyama? Oh, I am American not... Ninja Warrior. I am not a ninja warrior. <laughs> I saw a few people trying to be ninja warrior. A lot of parkour, but nice. not by, like, Japanese people, by weird, like, white people of around. As you do. It's... They're both amazing countries. I highly recommend going when you get the... As everyone does when you get the chance. Yeah. Yeah. It's It sounds awesome. Yeah. I would love to go. But you went to... Oh, I did. I did go to places, Mm -hmm. which is weird. (laughs) I went to New Orleans this past weekend where they were hosting WrestleMania, which I'm still embarrassed to say a little bit. But don't be. But I shouldn't be. I don't don't know why I've ingrained into my head that it's like not okay to be a nerd in 2018. You think I'd get it. But Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, New Orleans, for those of you who maybe don't know, WrestleMania is like the Super Bowl for wrestling, and they go down there for a week, basically, and put on a ton of shows, and we went to three of the big 
uh, shows Saturday, Sunday, obviously the main one being WrestleMania and then Monday night. And it was awesome. I mean, it was, uh, it's New Orleans for one thing is a really cool city and it really whet my appetite to go back there and stay a little longer and just hang out in the town. Cause we didn't, you know, we were focused on getting to the events on time mm-hmm. and stuff and, and all that. But as someone who, you know, I, w- I was excited to go. My brother's my brother is older than me, and he's really into it. So I was excited to go because he was like really psyched. But I had my, you know, I was, I had my own kind of apprehension, not like mm-hmm. super strong desire to go. But uh, it was really cool. It's it's just a spectacle of kind of epic proportions. You know, it's like you put. 75,000 plus incredible like super nerds into the Superdome which is where they had it they had it where the Saints play uh and you just you know you go all out with the huge stage and like incredible lighting effects and you know rock and you know they have huge entrances for everybody and big firework explosions and everything it's just like the scale of it if if you don't if you've never seen WrestleMania and you don't know what it's about. I get like I get it if you're not into it. But it's like another animal altogether and it's crazy. And I mean the really people can and do and in some ways should crap on wrestling all they should all they want, but the athletes are incredible for what they can do, you know, and endure. So it was really cool. It was pretty pretty amazing to be there. It was definitely like we had a couple guys behind us who who just came in and said yeah, we know nothing about anything that's going on, uh, but we just, this was the place to be tonight in New Orleans, you know, we mm-hmm. moved to town recently and we wanted to come see it, and uh, it was pretty cool, Ronda Rousey was there, she's now a WWE wrestler rather than a USC fighter, and she made, she had her first match and it was really cool, and that place was like freaking explosive for her, so it was just, it was awesome, and it was cool to be in New Orleans, uh, it's a town I'm anxious to visit again. That's really cool. So it was a fun weekend. That'd be something I'd want to check off a bucket list, I think. Yeah. It seems like something that I feel like you were saying that you were a little, you have a little apprehension talking about it. Yeah. But I think, at least personally in my life, I've run into a lot of people that really do like wrestling uh-huh. and very straightforwardly, and it's made me kind of feel like, you know, this is really cool. There's a there's a cool aspect to the sport that I never really yeah. had when I was younger, and I'm starting to appreciate it more as I get older. Yeah, and I, I think I, I'm not gonna dwell on this long, but I do think there, there's a lot of. Uh, I literally just heard someone on Facebook refer to it as staged crap, and I just I think there's a lot of ignorance about what it really is in mm. terms of like, yes, the results are predetermined, but that does not mean that they're not incredible athletes who are putting themselves in serious danger, mm-hmm. you know, and doing... It. It's basically like watching stuntmen. I mean, the the most gauche description of it would be like watching two stuntmen stage a fight yeah. for like 20 minutes. And if you think that's not incredibly physically tax, taxing and difficult to do, you, I mean, you're fine. You don't get it, that's fine. I'm not saying you, but someone yeah. doesn't get it, that's fine. I'm not angry at them, but I do think there's a lot of misinformation about it, so... Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, definitely something I don't always talk about. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it. I know Tommy and I talked about it a little uh, last week, at least off the air. But 
it was really cool. Mm. And so, as a result, I missed a lot of the games and stuff this weekend, which apparently was to my mercy. Yeah, uh, we both so, read some really highs there, yeah, and then we just plummeted yeah. down with this team. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to talk about it all. We're probably not going to spend a lot of time dissecting these games because why bother? I mean, you know what they led to, mm-hmm. you know. So we'll get we'll focus more on probably the news conference with uh, Armstrong and Yo and some of the other interviews and stuff. Um, I guess uh, there's no good place to put this in a show, so I'll put it here. Uh, I I do want to mm-hmm. just talk for a minute about the uh, tragedy that happened uh, in, with the Humboldt Broncos. Uh, junior hockey team this past week. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure most of you know that uh, the Broncos were on their way to, I think, a playoff game, right? Mm-hmm. And they their bus was collided with a semi, and uh, I think 15 ultimately died, and about yeah. that many were uh, injured. And it's just, you know, it, very reminiscent of the, of the flight, the KHL team that... Uh, crash and Pavel Dimitra and others d- lost their lives in that event. I, it's just, it, it's one of those things. It's it's very sim- centering. Uh, mm. I think they're they're in Saskatoon, right? Is that right? Or Saskatchewan, maybe? I can, yeah. Saskatoon's I've, in Saskatchewan. I think I think there's yeah. <laughs> Saskatoon <laughs> Junior Hockey League, um, but uh, it's it's centering. It's humbling. It reminds you that the Blues missing the playoffs on balance does not matter at all. Mm-hmm. I think Doug, Doug Armstrong in his press conference said it really well. You know, basically he, he saved it till the end, but he was just like, this sucks. Uh, but compared to what happened there, it's not even worth, you know, considering. Um, I don't think there's a lot else to say. Uh, I know people have been... Um, leaving their sticks out on their porch, which is a cool tribute. Um, mm-hmm. And I know there's a GoFundMe page that's already raised like over $10 million. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, I know NHL teams, including the Blackhawks, uh, to their credit, mm-hmm. I will not heal them at all for this, but have replaced the nameplates on Saturday on the back of their jersey with Broncos. Um, it's What do you do? What do you say? Uh, I just you know encourage you all to... Uh, continue or begin uh, praying or sending good vibes or whatever it is you do for the families. And, uh, you know, if you feel compelled to donate monkey monkey money to them or to, uh, you know, youth hockey programs or whatever you think might be a fitting tribute, I'm not telling you how to spend your money, but that'd be cool. Uh, it's just a tragedy beyond anything I have words for Mm -hmm. and there's no good way to transition in or out of it in a podcast such as ours that is often filled with nonsense Uh, but I did want to make sure to take a moment and uh, think about them and and mention it uh, because it's kind of the news that's gripped the hockey world and rightfully so uh, in a tragic way. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that? I I think you covered it. It's just it's one of those things that's just too bad when you're, that's a, a trip teams make all the time. You know, how many buses or flights or different professional sports teams on throughout the Thousands year. Thousands a day, probably, yeah. you know, literally. And it's just, yeah. Hundreds an awful, at least. An awful crash and tragedy. And yeah, I, I don't know how people move on from this sort of stuff, but I know it's not quick and I know it's probably not soon, but I hope there's some healing that can be done. Yeah, yeah. 
Agreed. Uh, so, with with them in mind, let's move on, I guess, to talking about uh, the the Blues' de- defeat of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, just very quickly, we'll touch on it. Um, there's not a lot to say. Uh, we won a game. We dropped the game previously that we talked about last week with Tommy. Uh, with eight seconds left, Duncan Keith scored like his third goal of the season or something to give mm-hmm. them the win. Uh, this was a game that for various reasons the Blues had to win to give themselves any hope. Uh, they did win it, uh, although um, they uh, didn't mean anything ultimately. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Patrick Berglund got a hat trick in this one, uh, as I think we all expected. And I, I, I think it bears a second of our time before we move on. Jaden Schwartz scored the other goal. Um, Eric Gustafson scored his fifth goal for the Blackhawks. I think I think it bears a, a minute of our time to talk about Patrick Berglund and how he was a guy that took a lot of crap, and I, th- I mean, rightfully so to some extent uh, this season. Um, but when it's all said and done, he finishes the year with 17 goals. Um, he's not a playmaking center. He uh, never yeah. has been. Uh, but he finishes as the fourth highest goal scorer on the team uh, behind Tarasenko, Shin, and Schwartz and above Petrangelo. Um, and even if you don't, you know, even if you want to say the hat trick's an anomaly, if he gets one goal that game, he's still tied with Petrangelo and Steen. Uh, he only has nine assists, which is a problem. But uh, I, I, I do think this is a guy that if the Blues choose to move him, I don't think... Uh, it would be impossible for them to do that. And I also think it's a guy that maybe uh, w- one of the few guys whose performance we saw improve as the season moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he kind of, after the benching, uh, which credit to Mike Yo for doing it, I wish it had maybe lasted a couple of games, but I understand why it didn't. Regardless, after that, he did seem to kind of awaken and come out of his shell. Uh, and, uh, just fair play to him, a credit to him for not coasting into mm-hmm. a crappy off season. Uh, yeah, I mean Patrick Bergwin's a very a likable player in some ways. He's a likable guy. Uh, so good to ha- good for him. Yeah. Uh, he won this game for us. I don't have anything else to say about this game. What do you have to say about? No, I. As far as Patrick Bergwin goes, I've always kind of been a little bit of a defender. I get what people are saying this year. If they end up trading him in the offseason, the Blues do, um, so be it. But I think as far as like a contract problem goes, when people are like, oh, that contract's too much, I agree it's a little it's high. It's too long. Yeah, it's too long. I don't think long. the money is too bad, necessarily. But, but I think comparatively, compared to other people making that amount, I think he's doing just fine. It's one of those things where if he's on the third line consistently and he's not moving up and he's playing to his potential, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's a, that's a lot of this, this, and this, Um He's a fine. He's a fine player for what he is. Right, and like, I, uh, and I think that the flip side of this coin is he scored like twenty or twenty-one goals or something last year. Yeah. Uh, I, the we as fans, and and I'll say we because I've crapped on Patrick Bergman plenty this year, but we can't have it both ways. Where on the one hand we're saying, 
we have to we have to get secondary scoring. We have to get goals from our second and third line. And and then on the other hand, we're saying, but we got to ship Patrick Bergwind, mm-hmm. our fourth highest goal scorer, out of town. You know, I'm not I'm not opposed to it. I, I think this needs to be a very very momentous offseason for the Blues as we're going to get into. But it, it's not a it's not a either or, or it's not a both and situation. It is an either or situation. Um, if you ship Patrick Bergwind out of town, that's still a player you have to replace somehow. Mm-hmm. Now you may think Jordan Cairo comes in and does a better job, and it's possible he does, or you know, Sammy Blay with increased playing time, Tage Thompson, whoever, uh, and that's you know fine. Or you can sign a Tommy Wingles, I don't know, some some third liner type as a free agent, and that's fine. But you can't. Just assume that Patrick Bergwin's dead weight that you're cutting loose. I think, and I and I've done that some this year, and certainly around the trade deadline, it felt more like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he's redeemed himself a little bit, in my eyes at least. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about this game? I mean, there's it, it wasn't it was a good win for the Blues. It was a win that you needed to win at the time. But it ultimately became meaningless. Yeah, as we'll I mean, discuss. it helped the Blues so that they only really needed just a point out of the Avalanche game. They didn't even have to win the game. They just had to get to, to OT to get the loser's point, and then they would have been in the playoffs. Um, to, your, to your point, though, the Chicago game before where Duncan Keith scored with, what, eight seconds left uh-huh. to put it uh, 4-3 for the Hawks, that was Duncan Keith's, yes, his second goal of the season. Nice. Real nice. Thanks, Duncan. I hate your guts. <laughs> but yeah, the Avs game, uh, moving into that, I, I I, saw a lot of people on Twitter really pulling, like, I think the Blues can pull it off. And, you know, hats off to you for keeping the faith. But man, this was a game the Blues had to win. They, I, they had to win. They had to win to make the playoffs. And that's how I knew for a fact they weren't going to win it. <laughs> because they had to win the game. I told you, I texted you while you were, you know, in flight or yeah. about to be or something. I, I remember distinctly, I said, basically, I think the Blues squeak by the Blackhawks. Which I think uh, a, a win that relies on a Patrick Bergwin hat trick counts as squeaking by, <laughs> even if you won 4-1. to one. Uh, I think we squeak by the Blackhawks and just get reefed by the Avalanche because I saw it as being the most Blues way. Yep. And I'm not a prophet, I don't think, but it's exactly what happened. Just bet against the Blues and you'll be right. You want to take us through the Avalanche game a little bit more? I know this one I was definitely watching uh, WWE NXT <laughs> the night of, which was a phenomenal show and really cool. So I didn't see it, thankfully. I knew what was happening. But, uh, yeah, why don't you tell us about it a little bit? And this For this game, I was trying to keep my eyelids open because I had gotten off a flight <laughs> and was on 36 hours awake, and I was like, I just got to watch this team win or lose. It doesn't matter if they lose because I'll fall right asleep. It just doesn't matter. Uh-huh. Um, I thought the Blues right out the gate, five minutes in. I, I hate being a downer, but I knew they were going to lose. They had that look of being had the will to win. Mm-hmm. I think there was no question of their effort. I think they didn't have the plan to win. Yeah. They just did not seem like they were gelling at all, which is weird to think about and say in game 82, but it, they just, <laughs> it just didn't look like much of a team. Uh, Avalanche got their first goal by Samuel Gerrard, his fourth of the season, assisted by Como and Soderberg. Uh, Samuel Gerrard, who was in the trade, 
in the Duchesne trade, I mm-hmm. believe. They grabbed him from Nashville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was kind of a weird like Nashville dagger, too. We were trying to get in the playoffs to play Nashville. The Avalanche scored on us with a guy they got from Nashville. It seemed like Nashville had their fingerprints all over this game. And the, the uh, Avalanche had a 75% Corsi 4 percentage in the first period. So yeah. While the Blues actually took control later on, how do you come back from that? Really, you know? Yeah, being on the road, too, it just felt like this was... We'd seen it before. It felt like a game six in a series, which is normally the ones that the Blues lose in anyways, and those always tend to be on the road. It just felt very playoff-like. We were trying and trying, but nothing was working. Uh, Second period, Avalanche got a power play goal by Tyson Berry, his 14th of the year at 6-11 of the second period, assisted by Rontanen and Landeskog, which are pretty much, at this point, the other two players, aside from McKinnon, that can score... Uh, this goal is interesting. Uh, this is one that the Blues challenged for offsides. I can't remember if it was Tyson Berry or not. It was, Tyson it was who was held it in. Um, oh yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, it. I don't know, man. I just don't know. It's. Why don't I read you Alexander Petrangelo's quote? Oh yeah, this is mild mannered, soft spoken Alexander Petrangelo, mm-hmm. who said this to describe the goal. I don't know what view they're looking at because maybe they need some glasses in Toronto because that's pretty t- disappointing. I could show you four different angles and it's half an inch offside, so I don't know what they're looking at. Maybe they're guessing or maybe they don't want us to get in the playoffs. I don't know. Uh, words that could have gotten him fined ultimately didn't, but mm-hmm. uh, taking that harsh an approach against Toronto certainly could get you fined. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it speaks to the brazenness of this no call, having watched it back. I didn't mean to steamroll no, your was, discussion. But. I I just don't know what they're looking at. It's grainy on the stuff that I see. I kind of get the argument that it's like, oh, we just can't decide either. You know, We can't decide that it's clear evidence. But mm-hmm. man, it's as close to clear as you can get without it just being them being blatantly wrong and missing a call. So I don't like, I don't know. I, I struggle with this. I struggle being, you know, having integrity in situations like this because it was a seven minute review mm-hmm. and I believe in every sport and every situation always, if a review goes longer than like 90 seconds, it should just call in the ice stands. Yeah. That should be a threshold for undisputable, indisputable, whatever. The, with that said, there's no question. I mean, there's not a question. It shouldn't have been a seven minute review because there's no question here. There is clear white on every angle I've seen between the puck and the line. It's mm-hmm. not even close, relatively speaking. And I'm sure the NHL has overturned dozens. And I know the they've done it to the Blues in the playoffs on far less evidence than this. I don't want it to become a narrative where that call kept us out of the playoffs because we got reached yeah, it's not in this that. game and we deserve it. And even if we hadn't, we missed a lot of other opportunities this season that are much bigger deals than this. But I do think it's pretty glaringly obvious how bad this call is and how desperately the NHL needs to uh needs to rehabilitate its officiating and the and more than anything the fans perspective and opinion of their uh officiating 
Uh, the NHL said it was determined there was no definitive replays which showed that the puck left the attacking zone, which just isn't true. Uh, therefore, the call on the ice was upheld. Edmondson said that was a huge turning point. It definitely affected our team. We just didn't have the push uh, that we wanted, and that was a tough one to swallow. Jake Allen said, it's offsides. My opinion, I think a lot of people's opinion, probably a lot of your guys' opinion, <laughs> I don't think it was the right call. Obviously, the Petrangelo uh, quote, but I, Yo said, and I think he's right, it is what it is, not going to blame this season on a bad call. Uh, there are a couple other bad calls we could also blame the season <laughs> on, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to dwell on it longer than it deserves, but it was... I, even Jordan, I texted him because I was in the arena and not able to watch, and I said, you know, would you, did you think that was offsides? Because obviously he's an Avs fan and, you know, would theoretically have the differing opinion. And he said, I believe something to the effect of, I don't think it was offsides, I think it was offsides twice. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, just speaks to, you know, the significance of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't want to dwell there necessarily uh, too long, but... Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. So uh, yeah, we whiffed on that one, which means that the the uh, Avalanche got another power play because of our failed challenge. So that's always fun. But they didn't score on that one, so it looks like we did okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Blues did get a power play goal from Jaden Schwartz's twenty fourth, assisted by Petrangelo and Shen. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was a nice goal. It was nice to see Schwartz get on the board. I, it's too bad that he seems to have slowly been recovering and finally back up to form a little bit from his injury. Uh, I don't blame him too much, but a little, a little too little, too late at this point because the season just ran out of time. Um, Avalanche got another goal before the second period ended. Kind of another. The first period, they also their goal was kind of late in the period, and this one, seemingly so too. Just a little over three minutes left to play. Nathan McKinnon, who would have thought, assisted by yeah. Gabriel Landeskog. And at that point, it's 3-1. I I know people on Twitter are like, you know, it's only two goals. I'm like, come on. Like, it's only two goals for another team to try and come <laughs> back from what the Blues aren't doing this. And they didn't. They didn't do much in the third. Uh, Avalanche still looked like they had most of the control. Uh, we pulled the goal, the goalie with, I think, almost like five minutes left because at this point you just need, you need time. You need time to mm-hmm. score two whole goals. And the Avalanche buried an empty netter from uh, Gabriel Landeskog, assisted by McKinnon. Uh, Shen scored a goal with the uh, goalie pulled, so 6-on-5, assisted by Schwartz and Berglund. Uh, again, too little, too late. And then we still had the goalie pulled, and Matt Nieto scored for the Avalanche, assisted Matt by Soderberg. Yep, 5-2. Um, I will say, as a slight positive, our 6-on-5 looked... For the first time in forever, slightly desperate because they were, and I was like, "Hey, look, we're really showing them six on five. <laughs> we learned stuff." Um, I don't know. Honestly, when they lost, I just kind of felt uh, I wasn't even angry. I was just like, "Yeah, just get it out of the way," because I had kind of assumed it was a loss, and I wasn't really. I didn't have that emotional high throughout any part of the game. Ah, uh, I think I and and. We'll talk about this. We're we're recording a bonus episode this same night. You get two episodes in one night. What a what a deal. What a deal, folks. You're welcome. All for the price of on the house. <laughs> uh, but we'll talk about it in the bonus episode more. I, there's no question this team isn't getting past the Predators, regardless, mm-hmm. in a seven-game series. If you're out there and you think they are, God love you. 
you're insane. You're mm-hmm. out of your mind. <laughs> like, there's a point where I want to be like, oh, I'm glad that some Blues fans are optimists, and then there's there's just a point where I have to be like, you're insane. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this that, is it. That's you. Um, <laughs> but so I think I think for me it took the edge off a little bit. Um, I don't know if you know. The, the, some people will say, "Well, missing the playoffs is good for this team." I I can see the argument. I don't know if I believe it or not. Um, but it's there's so much you could have done when you miss by one point. Yeah, exactly. And I, I've mentioned it before, but you know, you lose your last two games against the Coyotes, a combined eleven to two. You win one of those, you're in the playoffs. You know, you you prevent. I think I think technically, if we prevented the Duncan Keith goal and got to overtime, we still would have lost the tiebreaker unless we won that game uh, against the Avs, mm-hmm. but or against the Blackhawks, we still needed one more point. But like, uh, you you stop that goal. There's that Jeremy Rutherford put out an article in his kind of season review thing on the Athletic where it was like he he listed five specific games that mm-hmm. were like one goal games where you get a point or you win that game or you stop the bleeding, whatever it takes, yeah. and you are in the playoffs right now. That's the tough pill to swallow because I think this isn't a team this is a team that clearly isn't as good as it performed in the first month and a half or so. But I don't think is as bad as it performed for December and January or so, you know, mm-hmm. roughly that time. And it, and it's hard to it's hard to swallow that that your you your playoff streak which, you know, was tied for like third best or something again ends just mostly because of crappiness. Not like mm. you weren't just a bad team, you were just kind of a sloppy team and and you were sloppy enough one too many times basically. And you couldn't get the two points instead of the one point that you needed to win a game. And I think that's what's more, you know, more of the bitter pill to swallow than just the fact that they missed the playoffs. You know, if, if, if I'm the, you know, if I'm the Canucks, if I'm the Vancouver Canucks, yeah. it's, it's not like I'm not surprised, <laughs> nor am oh, I you disappointed. Be. You know, it's just like, well, whatever. And with the Blues, I'm not really disappointed because I'm 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 kind of thankful. I because as much as I say the Predators would have killed us, I still would have watched all five oh, yeah. games. <laughs> Hold on, <laughs> oh, to that's my very seat generous of you. Uh, you know, but just so I'm kind of glad I don't have that panic uh, period this year. But you always want to see your team prosper. You mm-hmm. never know what can happen when you get into the playoffs. You do. But you know, and <laughs> so yeah, I just, we could go round and round about how it feels. You're welcome to say more. I was like, it's just sad to. It didn't feel too bad till the playoffs started, and yeah. then I was like, oh yeah, like every time I see a matchup, I always think like, the Blues don't play today because they play tomorrow. It's their off day. I'm like, oh, they're not in it. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing for me, and we can kind of talk about it when we get into the press conference and everything, is. You're talking about just a lot of one goal games, uh-huh. the Blues lost or ones that they just barfed up. Um, if we had, it doesn't even have to be league average, but we'll just say a league average power play. Yeah. You're in the playoffs, easy peasy. You probably look a lot more threatening too. Thirtieth uh, in the league, like that just has to improve. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Last year we were twelfth in goals per game, and this year we went dropped to twenty fourth. Uh, it was only 0.12 goals per game difference, but it's significant in the NHL. Uh, 
we we had a franchise low in the history of our franchise. We'd never scored fewer goals in the first period than we scored this year. And most notably, to your point, we were the eighth power play last year. This year we were the 30th. We dropped almost 6%, 21.3% to 15.4%. And the .463 power play goals per game was the lowest average in team history. And like you said, if that's just okay, mm-hmm. you know, if it's just... I think if it's 20th, you're That's easily I mean. yeah. in the playoffs, which is still isn't good. 20th is not like a power <laughs> play, but I think you're... You probably at least in the second wild card in the in the first wild mm-hmm. card spot if it's twentieth. You know, it's just it was so abysmal all season that it, it like almost stopped even being a joke. There was the point in the middle where it was funny to say, you know, like Blues power play can't watch or like Blues power yeah. play time for bathroom break or whatever. And then by the end, it well that even that wasn't funny. I know. It was just like oh, okay, <laughs> like it just got sad. Yeah. I, <laughs> seems high to me. That's how bad it was. Mm. The idea that we scored in every six and a half power plays or whatever that works out to, that seems too high to me. And that's not good news. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that's the number one thing. If If you're looking for what was wrong with this team this year, you have to point to one thing. I think more than the goaltending, more than inconsistency, more than clubhouse problems, which we'll talk about all that when we go through the press conference here in a second. I think the power play mm-hmm. is the number one, you know, public enemy number one in terms of what you have to address this offseason. And we'll talk about because Yo was asked about it directly by our beloved Jeremy Rutherford, and we'll talk about his response, uh, which is unsatisfying <laughs> when we go through the press conference. But I mean, let's talk about the the elephant that hopefully isn't an elephant in the room or the gorilla in the room or whichever expression those two expressions are just like one thing (laughs) in my head and i can never remember which is which uh but vladimir tarasenko left this game this game against colorado very early i think maybe on his first shift uh, or most certainly in the first period Uh, and a play that really wasn't even a collision really with gabriel landiscog uh, it was just a weird play where Tarasenko was skating and and he was kind of close to the boards and and Landis Cog just trying you know innocently not even really trying to hit Tarasenko just tried to skate through that space mm-hmm. between Tarasenko and the boards and his left arm got caught on Landis Cog who was speeding past and you saw him you know kind of grab at it immediately and it uh, turned out that he dislocated his shoulder. Um, it uh, needed surgery. He opted to have the surgery on it. Uh, it's the same kind of surgery that uh, Patrick Berglund had, I think, and mm-hmm. Pateri Lindbaum, who we care less about. But <laughs> uh, it's a four- to six-month recovery on the short end. You know, that that gets him back in plenty of time for all the preseason stuff. On the, on the long end, it should hopefully get him back in time for training camp or for, you know, basically the start of the regular season. Uh Weird play makes me wonder if maybe this was nagging, nagging. Yeah. You know, if it was happening. You know, if it was deteriorating. I Shoulders know, are weird, and I can't remember if it was the Players Tribune article or some interview he did with the Russian press. Something we read last summer. There was something he mentioned 
where it was kind of like, oh yeah, I had this nagging thing. It was yep, very, yep. very hockey talk. It was like, wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be like, well, it was upper body. Yeah. But he was like, I had this nagging thing. It's fine right now. Which is a, and it was very like, weird. I was kind of like, uh, what? You know, <laughs> like either get it fixed or don't mention it, but don't just be like, oh yeah, it'll be it's, fine. I'm sure. taken care of. So, uh, maybe it was this. I don't, I don't have any reason to believe it was this, but if it was great, that means that it'll be fixed. Hopefully. Maybe that's part of a small production problem. Yeah. I don't think that could account for everything, but uh, it'd be nice to have him fully he healthy. Fin- you know, he still finished the season with what? 33 goals. Yeah. It's hardly an awful year. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a weirdly fitting into his weird up and down season. Um, mm-hmm. I I love Tarasenko. We just retweeted the video of him personally apologizing to the fans for missing the playoffs. You know he wears defeat really hard. He wants to be the star that leads this team to the promised land. It's. I don't think it's ever a question of heart with Tarasenko. I think it's more where's his mind confidence mm-hmm. level at, and that's kind of the stuff that slows him down. Uh, I expect he will be rehabilitated from this and back on the ice in time for you know it not to be a major concern next year. Uh, we will see. I mean, we'll obviously track that during the offseason as we talk to you all, um, but... Couldn't have come at a better time, I guess, you know, all things considered in the last game of the year. Obviously, mm-hmm. it happened. So even if we'd won that game and gone into the playoffs oh, short Tarasenko, it would have been even uglier than it was in the first place. Um, so, yeah, so that that was the big news item. I guess we can go in and sort of launch in to this press conference, which I excuse me, don't really have a better way of covering than uh, just kind of going chronologically through what was discussed and trying to not drag out too long. It was 50 minutes of some of the usual excuses and some interesting things, I think. Um, We had maybe slightly differing opinions on it just from what you texted me, but I'm guessing they'll probably end up being pretty similar uh, as we discuss it. Um, But yeah, if I if I'd had more time this week, my computer fritzed out. Uh, my my charging cable broke basically, and so I lost the use of my computer for a day and a half or so, and so it was a, a tough week coming back. So wasn't as prepared as I'd like to have been, but uh, I might have organized this a little better. But I think this will work fine going through it. Uh, one of the quotes he started out with that I thought was, uh, hopefully, will be a good primer like a good mindset quote for the offseason as he said to the fans we understand your frustration we share your frustration and we'll do something about your frustration mm-hmm. which sounded like it could be a good fellas like oh we're gonna do something about it but that's I think what i mean it was more like, they're gonna shove it yeah. up our butts yeah, is exactly. what they're gonna do um he was asked about the tarasenko injury he said i haven't talked to vladdy since the meeting i guess at post game uh, but he knew he had a dislocated shoulder. Obviously, we've got uh, more information than he had at the time. He'll be out uh, four to six months. Uh, he said there were bumps and bruises around the team, but no other surgeries uh, he knew about in terms of like you know guys needing work in the offseason, which is a good place to be. You've obviously got Zach Samford, uh, Robbie Fabry, Patrick, or not Patrick, uh, Carl Gunnarsson, Jay Bomeister, 
Pateri Limbaum all recovering from work that was done earlier in the year. Uh, so uh, we'll talk about those all as the offseason moves on. Um, Mike Yo was asked, you feel free to jump in at any time no, while no. I'm talking, but Mike Yo was asked about the difference between the hot and cold streak, uh, and he basically said it was goal scoring as a whole that ultimately ended up affecting individuals. He specifically singled out Jake and just said the lack of scoring help led to Jake being more uptight than he was anyway, which led to him being kind of worse than he was. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that's... That's fair. It feels like an oversimplification, because why did huh. goal scoring fall off the map? You know, I, I want I want the answers to that, but I, I guess I owe it to them to take some time, yeah. give them some time to figure out and answer those questions, you know? That's a fair point. I yeah. It's annoying to me all the time, because you're right, but I always think like, yeah, I know goal scoring was a problem. I watched the game. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh-huh. exactly. It's not like it's certainly not a, yeah. a level of insight. But I, that but you I think really that's want, but... true. Even even someone like me who uh, isn't the biggest Jake Allen fan, I do think that it could have a lot of those problems could have easily been covered up, or he could have, like you said, improved even more because he felt less pressure on him. If we had been scoring at all, there's yeah. that whole stretch where we gave him like what just a little bit over one goal a game yeah. to work with. Yeah, exactly. So. And I mean, what are you gonna do as a goalie if you're already scuffling, and you feel like you can't possibly let in even as many as two goals? <laughs> there's no hope. I mean, that's a that's a no win situation. Uh, Army was asked about kind of his priorities for the offseason. I was sort of trying to group these in categories as I went along, uh, so some of them will make more and less sense as a category. Yeah. But uh, he mentioned a statistic that said we were plus 13 in the win column in the first 31 games, win-losses, and then we were minus 4 in the next 32 games, and he mentioned that minus 4 puts you in the bottom uh, 5 or 6 per- winning percentages of the league. Um which makes sense, you know, even most bad teams are roughly 500, so mm-hmm. real bad teams have to be below that. Uh, and he said, you know, the power play needs to make a difference. Uh, we were seventh in goals against, but our special teams didn't add up. And he mentioned a couple of times, and I think it's telling that, you know, a team that even as bad as our goaltending was for a stretch, we were we finished as seventh uh, in goals against average which should put you on the playoffs. Like, you should yeah. on that stat alone, and he said it, you know, you would think that's a playoff team, so why weren't we? And he he discussed it, but, you know, that's a good stat to kind of dwell on. Uh, he he kind of talked about youth a little bit and said, can we incorporate younger players into our group? Is that the answer? Can we look how we prepare for home games? I think that's mandatory. And then he said a quote, I, I do really like this. Uh, he said, the people who come here work for a living. He was kind of dancing around like he didn't want to call oh, it. Oh, yeah. Color, yep. but I, you know, he was, he was respectful, but he said, the people who come to Blues games work for a living, and we need to send them home happier than they came here for no other reason than that they spent their hard-earned money to come here. Um, which I think it's just good. I mean, I'm glad that they had the understanding of that. Uh, I think Doug Armstrong is a good man, you know, I just get the feeling that, and yeah. you don't always, you know, you True. coaches and people. You could have Eugene Melnick. You could have Tortorella, yeah, yeah or Eugene Melnick. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good, he will win points from people in this town by even saying that. Uh, he also he was talking about trade 
candidates a little bit, and he said, if you look at those names, and I, I added presumably Hoffman and Pacioretty and those kinds of guys, uh, of the guys that we're talking about, uh, the, 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 the names that were being bounced around at the trade deadline. He said, if you look at those names, all of those guys are still with the teams they were on. Uh, and then, you know, kind of hinting at those are still players we could pursue uh, if the fit is right. And he said, I don't envision a roster next year that has nine or ten players, 21 and under on it. And, you know, off the top of my head, how many do we have right now? Three or four with, you know, yeah, it's done. Pareko's over twenty one now. Right? Yeah, it might. It might Cuso just be would probably be over, but um, Dunn and Thompson. Yeah, I guess maybe you know Blay if he's in there, but yeah. So he's not. You know his answer, and I, I thankfully I think isn't okay. So we'll cart out bodies and bring in Thomas Kyrou Costin. Yeah, uh, Blay, Dunn, Wallman. Huso, you know, and just that, <laughs> that just kills the development yeah, for some of them, it for does, sure. For sure. And he talked about how, with Huso especially later on, he talked about how the NHL isn't a, isn't a league to develop in, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's appropriate. Uh, do you have anything you wanted to mention during that stretch? I'm sorry, we just kind of rapid fire going through these, but no, I it's a long press conference. No, I really liked a lot of Army's answers on this stuff. He is a guy that doesn't really give you a lot i mean i know that's a lot of gms but i feel like this was this is the most he's ever given as far as like knowing that changes need to be made he never really said that but it was kind of like like you said at the beginning he says he knows they're upset fans are upset st louis is upset and he's going to do something about Mm -hmm. it or they're gonna do something about it yeah i think he didn't do any weird i think maybe once he talked about leadership and we'll get to that having an answer in the room already Mm -hmm. but i never heard that anywhere else like oh there's answers in the room we just got to work with it i think that being left out is a signal a big signal from him at least that it's like oh we're open to moving people we're open to looking for stuff i think he even said though they're open to looking outside the team for anything really so yeah we'll definitely talk about that more i think one of the feelings I got through this press conference, and I think you'll feel the same way, but definitely, obviously, tell me if you don't. But it felt like, overall, uh, this is Doug Armstrong's team. You know, you look at teams around the league, the Maple Leafs are mm-hmm. Mike ba- Babcock's team. The mm-hmm. Blue Jackets are John Tortorella's team. You know, you look at who the cult of personality, where the culpability falls with a team, mm-hmm. and I... You know, I I think it's just, it felt like one of those situations where the two guys are sitting there and they're both well aware that Doug Armstrong was here a long time before Mike Yo uh, came here. And I think it's pretty certain that he'll be here after Mike Yo leaves. If either, you know, unless Mike Yo becomes a really successful coach and Doug Armstrong just retires before then, (laughs) I think... If either of them's getting fired, it's going to be Yo that goes first, you know. So I, it just uh, maybe you can you can disagree with that if you want to, uh, but we know who got the extension this year, and so I just I think Doug Armstrong did a really good job of kind of you know taking a lot of the responsibility which he's done in the past. He did that with the Ken Hitchcock stuff when it clearly wasn't his fault. Um, but I, th- you know, at the same time, he was answering most of these questions. Yo talked relatively little. Uh, he was taking the responsibility, and he was kind of taking charge. And I think that's, 
I think that's good because I, I have a little more faith in Armstrong right now than I do in Mike Yo, and we'll talk about Agreed. that more in a minute. But uh, that felt like the right balance. Uh, he was asked why the team was a seller at the deadline. He basically said there wasn't enough information uh, at that time in the year to say we were a player away from a Stanley Cup. Uh, he said, I've always believed the managers don't tell players what's going to happen at the deadline. The players tell the managers what's going to happen at I the like deadline. That which quote I like that quote a lot. I really like that quote, yeah. Uh, and he mentioned in that same breath something along the lines of, look, we started the season really hot and we went into the slum going into the deadline. And he said, you know, basically if that had been the other way around, if we'd started cold and gotten really hot at the deadline, I think you'd see two or, you know, one or two new faces in the locker room right now. Um, you know, and, and I think that's a fair approach. I mean, I think you've got to look at where your team, all you can do at the deadline is look at what your team has done already and what they're doing right now. And I, we, lost six or however many games going into the deadline, you and I both agreed that they shouldn't do anything. Yeah. And I think it was still the right call. Uh, asked about, oh, this was this was kind of one of the more, uh, more yo-focused periods. Uh, he was asked about the inconsistent veterans, uh, and he said he needed more consistency. I mean, the question wasn't that direct, but yeah, yeah. yeah. He basically said he needed more consistency and a different formula. Uh, he said we we become weaker defensively and scored fewer goals, which was obviously a bad co- combo. And then he said, as a coaching staff, I promise you that we will not sit around and just assume things are going to be better next year, which I would hope not. Yeah, I guess. Like, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. That to doesn't me. say anything really. Uh, and then the the big moment, I think. One of the more telling moments, I guess, for the yo aspect of things was, as we alluded to earlier, when Jeremy Rutherford asked him uh, kind of out of left field, uh, you know, what would you say about the critics who talk about your really poor power play record following you around the year? And we've talked about, you know, following you around your coaching career. You and I have talked about that before. And he said, well, if it's going to keep following me around, then that's something I'm going to have to live with. And I'm going to have to make sure that... Uh, that that changes. So yeah, I'm not going to dodge that. There's no question that I'll take responsibility for it. That's on me. What I don't understand about that, I guess, and and you and I had, I think, slightly different responses, Mm -hmm. reactions, I guess, to his response where I think you felt uh, more uh, like he bristled at the question than I did. I, I think it was a decent answer. I mean, I think he took took responsibility for something that is his fault what i don't understand then is why can't he as a coach find someone who's really good at coaching the power play and just say that's "That's yours well that's what i meant you said that you know i'll take responsibility and all that for that but it's been like I don't know. It's been it his five or six yeah, years it can't of him. Be that this dawned on him this year, and it's the first year. Yeah, that's that's it. what I didn't like about. I mean, they're all just answers either way. Coming just coming out the coming out their butt. <laughs> but um, it was more that he's like, oh, we as a coaching staff will not sit back and you know just think everything will be the same next year. And I'm like, so are you telling me that all these power plays that have been bottom half of the league, bottom third of the league? Um, you've tried new things every time and it just keeps being bottom third. Yeah. I, 
that's the one area that we need the most improvement on, and I don't know if he's the guy to do it. Like you said, I don't think we have to necessarily get rid of Mike Yo, but I think he needs someone to run the power play right. for and, him. And, and I think it's this weird thing, you know, Cardinals, I don't want to dwell on the Cardinals, but I know a lot of people are conversant on them. And they, you know, had the big controversy over the summer because they brought in Mike Maddox to be their new pitching coach, and he's uh, Greg Maddox's brother, and he's re- super well-respected. And it was kind of this question of, well... Can Mike Matheny, who's not great at bullpen management and co- and pitching staff management, actually step aside and let Mike Maddox mm-hmm. do the things he's really good at? Or is it going to be kind of them butting heads over things and it feels like there's been some headbutting so far in the year? Who knows? I'm not in the clubhouse, but I don't, I don't know. As a coach, I don't know what the instinct is to not say, hey, I'm really bad at this thing. Let me find someone who's good at this thing so I can delegate that to him and focus on what I'm good at. Because if Kirk, let's just, you know, pick a a familiar name. If Kirk Muller coaches your team to an eighth overall power play and a 21 Mm. percentage or whatever again, that's going to go in your record anyway. Yeah. Nobody's going to be like, yeah, well, it was really Kirk Muller, you know, three years from now. Nobody's going to remember, you know, so like. I, I don't get that. I don't want to dwell on it super long, but it's just kind of interesting to me. Um, they talked a little bit about like what quickness the Blues need to add. Uh, Armstrong says, we can look outside of this group to see if we can get better. Uh, probably one of eight or nine teams. Oh, this was a really interesting section. He talked about cap space and he kind of he kind of oh, yeah. he kind of used this question as a launching pad for like what flexibility do we have and he mentioned we're probably one of eight or nine teams that has cap space that we're willing to spend and he even went a, he, it was a little weird that he got he got kind of passionate about this yeah. <laughs> but he said we're not a small market team in the nhl that's a fantasy when i hear and read that your market size uh is what you spend and we spend at the cap uh, and he basically he was making the point that that the ownership here supports him spending at the cap, and he was you know he was contrasting himself not in as many words but with the teams like Ottawa who very publicly have an internal cap you know where where the salary cap can grow to whatever it wants but they're not going to spend over sixty eight million dollars a year or whatever I'm just you know picking a yeah. number out of a hat but like. I, I think it was interesting for him, and it wasn't the only time he said it, where he basically he made the illusion, and he did it again in the Bernie Miklas interview that we'll talk about briefly. Uh, just kind of, I you know, he basically said, I think we have the money to get anyone. And, and with the rumors that have been going around this team, you definitely hear the name John Tavares when he's, you know, at least I do in my head when he says <laughs> things like that. But, like... You know, because obviously we had the money to add some, you know, Alex Galchenyuk contract or mm-hmm. whatever. But, like, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I think it was really interesting point he decided to harp, harp on, not in a negative way, but, like, really pick out and say, look, we have an owner that lets us spend to the cap. It sounded like he thought that Stillman was going to spend to the increased cap Mm -hmm. because he mentioned that a couple of times as a positive, not as a like, well, you know, but don't get too excited sort of thing. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, did you think, did you have anything you wanted to add about that? or (laughs) Did you think one of the GMs at the GM meeting, like, 
was talking to Armstrong, and he was like, well, I mean, you wouldn't get this. You're like a mid-market team. And he was like, no, we're not. It was a very strong response. Someone someone told him something weird, and he was like, this is my chance to shine and tell him that we spend like a big-market team. Yeah. Um, It was was a nice quote, and I think it was... I liked Army in a lot of what he said more than I liked Yo. Maybe because, like you said, it's more of Army's team, and I kind of believe more of what he's saying i feel Mm. like he will do this stuff and again this is another one of those things where talking about how they'll spend the cap and they spend like a large market team uh just is kind of i think prepping us a little bit for like where his mind's at he's willing as long as stillman's signing the checks he's willing to spend that money to make us better i'm hoping that translates to the summer i think he also went on and said certain things like you know there's 30 other teams or i guess 29 really um that are going to be trying to improve along with us. Mm. You alluded to the fact that there's, or I guess you just outright said it, there's going to be eight teams in two weeks that are also upset with where they are after they get booted out of the first round, and they also will be trying to improving. So I think he likes to say that stuff as sort of like, you know, a little a little net where he's like, see, so just in case nothing happens, just know it's because the market's crazy out there. But I think he also has been setting himself up slowly for like, I don't know, little hints, little breadcrumbs of, like, I'm willing to go out there and push this team further. Because I think you saw teams, I mean, the Blackhawks are worse than they were before, but you saw these teams that were behind us in the standings that are now just better. I mean, Nashville's been a couple years, but Winnipeg, Dallas looked pretty good. I mean, the Avalanche have already, I mean, technically just better. Mavs are on the upswing. And that's the thing, I think. we got to improve with them. And and he makes a point later on, again, not to step on the future of what we'll talk about, but he, he makes the point about we were a team that everybody used to think of as elite mm-hmm. and we're not that anymore. And I think that's a really critical point. That's you a can, good admission. You can talk about the blues got worse this year. And to some extent they did, even though they added, you know, the player that scored the most points this year wasn't in house last year, uh, Braden Shin with his 70. So y- you can talk about us getting worse, but I think we need to focus on, especially going forth in the off season, how good this division is right now. The division, specifically the conference as a whole, you added one of the best teams in hockey, literally out of whole cloth in yeah. the Knights, you know. And 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 we'll talk about more in the bonus episode whether or not that's going to be something that is is real or kind of a first year high sort of thing. But I mean, they're not going to suck next year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Jets are massively better. Um, the the Avs are improving uh, and look to be on the upswing. I think the Stars are still a threat. I think the Wild are still good. I don't think there's a team in our division who's really crappy. I think the Blackhawks, I wouldn't expect them to be this bad again next year. I'd be pretty mm-hmm. shocked. So it's it's on the one hand we have to get better in isolation on the other hand we have to get a lot better to compete with those teams mm-hmm. uh and i think that's an important point and i and i do think you know you mentioned him sort of setting out a safety net i think he does that a little bit i think it's natural he does it all the time yeah he, he does it constantly but i also think he's set enough this year and been transparent enough where if he doesn't make pretty major additions to this team there's going to be a lunch mob <laughs> at his door and so i think 
the safety net, if he's consciously putting that out there, I think he had better know it's not going to work. You yeah. know? Uh, speaking of things that aren't going to work, he talked about the <laughs> goaltending. Uh, he reiterated the point about being tied for seventh in goals against this season. We talked a lot about peaks and valleys. That was his his personal look in the mirror, repeated phrase of the day was peaks and valleys. Um he said, Jake needs to be better. He knows that. We need him to be better. The peaks are high. We just need to get the valleys a little higher. A lot higher. Um, <laughs> yes, I do have confidence in Jake, but I would say next year is a huge year for him. Uh, he said, Jake is coming back next year, and we got to talk to Hutz about coming back. Huso was AHL all rookie team, and that's great for a young goalie. Uh, he, speaking about Hutton, uh, talking about his uh, his you know likelihood of... of Coming back, he said he may view an opportunity with a different team that may be looking for a number one. And I think that's a big question mark for us, uh, whether he, uh, whether Hutton comes back is big for us. It's mm-hmm. a big question. I don't want him to come back at an unreasonable contract. I don't want to be paying $7 million a year to two goalies. I don't think that's a wise use of cap space. Uh, if if you don't have enough faith in Allen to not overpay a backup to be kind of a second starter, then you need to get rid of Allen. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's the real problem here. He's you know he obviously can't say, well, we're trying to trade Allen. Uh, yeah, what I read from this whole way through was I was thinking of Halak as the goalie of the future. Yeah, next day Halak is traded. It, it felt a little like the Lady Death protest too much, in you know reference to the. Macbeth thing about you know that Macbeth <laughs> you know we all know. Uh, or Hamlet whichever uh, that's Shakespeare fella but no it it did feel it, he was really insistent that Jake Allen was going to be back next year to the point that I'm like is he I I trust Jeremy Rutherford yeah that's what I was thinking that says that he really would like to get rid of him uh, and I would not, you know, if 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 he said that and we trade Jake Allen in four weeks, I'm not going to be like, but you said. You yeah, know, I'm so, like, whatever. Uh, they talked about leadership. He said, I know the leadership is good, but we're going to examine everything. He did talk about adding uh, veteran leadership, and he said winning breeds winning. Uh, but at the same time, he, he mentioned, you know, the Kings, and he said you're only one playoff away from having 25 people on your roster, 23 uh, or 25 who have won a Stanley Cup, you know, which is a, a good fair point. point. Yeah. I still think you want somebody. I, I doubt the Kings had no one on that roster that had won a cup, uh, but I don't know. Uh, was Hosa on that team yet? No, he was never on that team. I'm thinking no, they, had a, they had Williams, did they not? <laughs> yes, they did, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but in any case, um, Mike Yo, I think this was him, said, the room came together at the end of the year. Uh, Great. There was times when our game <laughs> slipped a little bit. I don't think it was an issue of chemistry. It's actually a very close group, which I don't know if I believe, but whatever. I just feel uh, like there's enough reports of like just yeah, weirdness in yeah. that locker room, and maybe it's overblown, but I bet there's some weirdness. I bet there's weird. I mean, there probably is in every locker room, you know, yeah. but like, is there in Nashville right now? I bet there's not a lot. Not really. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he was, he talked a little bit about Gunnarsson and Bo Meester and just kind of bluntly said, they're going to be here in training camp. Uh, not that I'm trying to move them, but no one's going to take guys in their thirties coming off of surgeries, which was kind of, I, I appreciate the candor, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he was luck we're stuck with this crap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> More or less. Uh, but going back to the caps and the contracts, 
he said, uh, you know, the cap's going to be up roughly $4 million. He thinks maybe more, maybe a little less. Uh, he said, we can be active on the market or in trades for any player under contract in the NHL, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he's going after Connor McDavid, folks. <laughs> Connor McDavid. Uh, he mentioned the three UFAs by name of Shaw Brodziak, Hutton. He was asked about Brodziak later on and said he was, you know, basically a player we want back at the right price. And he said, it's a bad year to be an RFA on this team and miss the playoffs. Hard to get big raises, even if you deserve them. Uh, Sounds good to me. Yeah. Who is an RFA? Ups- or uh, Not Upshaw. Yaskin, I think. Fabry. Uh, is Edmondson this year, or did we do last year? No, it's Edmondson, yeah. Edmondson. So, yeah, I, I could see with some of those guys, especially the Fabry type, it being more of a one- or two-year deal, kind of a bridge thing. I think Edmondson earned his raise this year. Pretty, yeah, I'd pretty, say so. Pretty decidedly, uh, maybe he still won't get it. But I, you know, I we talked about, you know, maybe one of our bigger <laughs> mistakes of the year was when we were like, this team's not going to miss him at all, and we immediately went on the pre-trade deadline losing streak, which of uh, course was more than just missing Edmondson, but it certainly wasn't less than missing Edmondson. It was that damn compound, yeah, fracture, fracture. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he said he was asked about the AHL situation. I swear we're, swear we're getting towards the end. Uh, he said, I think it's going to have a huge impact that's not going to be seen by many people. Oh, it's going to be seen. It's and, be so and I, seen. I love how he just kind of walked over this, too. I mean, I don't blame him, but he was like, oh, yeah, I think it'll be a pretty big deal. And I was like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to be a real big deal yeah. now that we get the team. It yeah. wasn't such a big deal. No, no problem last when summer. we lost it. Uh, still just a bafflingly bad. He even made, did he not even make the point that like it's harder to bring in like a veteran player or like a tweener yeah, player? Yeah, he was making the point I think around the deadline. I, and I wonder if if some of the uh, some of the Olympic guys were in question or, mm-hmm. in his mind. But he was I th- I think he was basically saying it's hard to bring in like a Nate Prosser and say hey you may spend time in the AHL, uh, but we need to have you available as backup, basically. And he even said, you know, we were an injury away from a Tommy Vanelli or a Jake Wallman potentially playing in the playoffs. And he said, you know, nothing against those guys, but that's not what you want. Um, yeah, I mean, this this is probably something we've talked about too little this year in terms of just how bad a um, screw-up that was. And, and I don't know, you know, I don't I don't want to I don't want to put it too squarely on his shoulders, but there are 30 29 other GMs it could have happened to and it didn't happen to them, you know? Like so I don't know. It, it's mm. a really bad situation and I I'm very glad it will be fixed. Uh it went back to talking about injuries a little bit. He said Limbom is 6 months with a shoulder. Had the surgery a month or so ago. I don't know where he fits in in the future plans. Probably no more than a seventh defenseman if we keep him. Uh, Schmaltz had a concussion and he's been feeling better, but not. Uh, he hasn't passed the tests yet. And Fabry is doing well. And he said he hadn't spent a lot of time talking to him, which made me kind of wonder if maybe he doesn't plan to have Robert Fabry on this <laughs> team long term. But I don't want to read too much into what wasn't or was said. Uh and the one again, one of the quotes I, I think Army shined a little bit in this press conference. Uh, 
as he was asked if this felt like a different offseason for him just in terms of the significance. And he said, one of the messages that we share with the players is that we are viewed from our competition, this is the quote I alluded to earlier, as an elite team. We are not viewed like that right now. When it's all said and done with, and I'm gone, I only have my own pride to look on. And I want to restore the pride in this organization, restore the pride in wearing the blue note. And I want to be here for the success. So yeah, this is a big year for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I just like that attitude. I think it's it's mm. good for him to say that. Uh, he was asked, Mike Yo specifically was asked about Pareko. Uh, he mentioned they hadn't gotten to meet in person, so it was a little tough to comment, which I do understand. Uh, but he said, I think Colton has the ability to be a dominant player in this league. I think we saw it at times. I don't think we saw it enough. And he said, stressing that, you know, he's still a developing player and he needs to understand that. Uh, and I, I think... I think that's important to remind him. I, I kind of got what he was saying where it's like you need to remind him he's developing and tell him that, yes, you're an important player to this team, but you're not the team, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And, and I, I don't know Pareko's mindset, whether he's too hard on himself or too easy on himself, but it could go either way. And I think he needs to be... He's definitely a player that needs to be focused on... Uh, as a project next yeah. year, unless you can get super great value for him this summer, and which guys do it for yeah. sure. I think we'll be talking about him a lot more this summer. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, talked about the youth guys. He started to say all the young guys took steps, and then he backtracked on that, which was kind of interesting. He said Tage uh, took some big steps this year, which is interesting as a player yeah. he kind of singled out uh, not too long ago in the in the season. Uh, he said, obviously, Dunner took guys, took a big step this year, yeah, but he also so. said that's what Barbashev did last year, which was kind of a slap in the face <laughs> of Barbie, and he said some other guys didn't take big steps. Uh, and then at the very end, Armstrong kind of thanked the press, and it was just kind of funny, but he was talking about how they had some good and some bad comments about the team, and it really felt like he looked right at Jeremy Rutherford when he talked about the bad comments. Uh, but that may have been me reading into it. So we've talked about it a little bit, but just to sort of wrap up on that before we move on to the final few things, uh, press conference as, or as a whole, what are your feelings coming out of that? We're obviously in the weeks and, and months to come, uh, going to do a whole lot of, uh, you know, more coverage on what the team looks like, RFAs, what contracts we're interested in, all that. But, like, mm-hmm. what's your feeling today as a Blues fan looking forward into the playoffs? Uh, what are you thinking? I'm, I'm hopeful with what all of Armstrong has said. I, I just don't know where the team's going. I just, it doesn't seem like there's a clear direction. And that might just be because he hasn't said, you know, overly much. I just don't know, I don't know, who a target is, who a trade target is. I mean, I guess there's like a Hoffman. But like, aside from some of those, I don't know who a realistic target is, and I don't know what Armstrong plans to give up. I don't know how much he wants to see come internally. I was glad that a lot of what he said about Fabry seemed very... Tentative. I'm glad that he wasn't just talking about how easily that Fabry's going to come in the lineup next year and be, yeah. you know, thought to contribute. I'm I'm hopeful with what Armstrong said. I don't know what it means as far as what he's going to do. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think to the Hoffman point, I've mentioned it before. I really don't want us to trade for Mike Hoffman 
I want an off-the-board trade. I'm fine with it being Mike Hoffman if we really want Mike Hoffman. But if Mike Hoffman's just the guy who's available... And I, and, yeah. and I feel like that's what the Blues have done a lot. You know, Jay Bomeister, I I think Jay Bomeister served this franchise really well and was the player we needed in a lot of ways. But, you know, it was talked about for so long before it happened. Ryan Miller was talked about for so long before it happened. And, and some of that's natural. I get it. You're covering the sport. There are deals that make sense for teams. But I just... Is Mike Hoffman a team that comes in here and makes the, a player that comes in here and makes this team better as a whole? Adds scoring, adds power play threats. Is he filling holes we need, or is he a player who's available and fast, <laughs> and that's why we want him? And if that's it, I just I just want more thought mm-hmm. going into it. I want more about you know who's going to complement the players we have in house, who's going to take a leadership role, that sort of stuff. We've talked in the past about how, you know, he kind of singled out, he kind of very publicly said there was no interest in Matt Duchesne because he was not a leader, uh, which at the time was kind of throwing and in hindsight he was really happy about, right? <laughs> but, like, I want that kind of thought going into it. I don't want it to be a sloppy offseason. I want it to be a very deliberate but very active offseason. And obviously, sorry to ramble, but obviously... You can't make, you know, you can't make the Maple Leafs trade you Nazem Kadri if that's the player you really want, you know, mm-hmm. because he's so good at checking Tommy Wingles into the board violently, <laughs> uh, as uh, I'm sure you all will hear about. Um, but you, you can't make a team give up a player, but you've got to figure out what are the right players to add to your group and really target them. Because you can make teams give up players with good offers if you really think the player's going to get there. Nobody would have thought Artemi Pranarin was available last year, you know? Exactly. That was a travesty and an abomination for the Blackhawks <laughs> and a huge regret and a stain on their franchise. Forever. And one of the only things that makes Stan Bowman look like a human who makes errors. But with that said, it did happen, you know? Um, you have anything to add there? Just wanted to add a couple of thoughts from this Doug Armstrong interview with uh, Bernie Mikolas, which is along a lot of the same lines. No, go for it. Uh, but he said, uh, you know, he's talking talking about Allen. He said he's as good as anyone in the league when he's on, but we can help Jake by letting him understand that he has support here. Uh, they were talking about offseason ideas. He mentioned Thomas Cairo and Thompson. Uh are players that he sees uh, possibly fitting in. He mentioned Sammy Boy a lot, which makes me think he has really high hopes for him. I completely forgot about Sammy which, Boy. Yeah, I do too. Uh, he's, he mentioned, you know, we're going to have to have to replace Paul Stasny, which is obvious, either internally or externally. He said we need to find another centerman, which is good because I, th- I, I, I'm glad that he's not saying Robert Thomas is that centerman, you know. I don't want Robert Thomas to be our second line center this year. I think that could be disastrous for him, as good as I think he is. Uh, And again, he reiterated, I don't think there's a contract out there that we can't add either through trading or signing. And he even said, you know, there are players we can move to cut cap if we need to. Uh, He said the culture does need to change. He talked about how Steen and Petrangelo were part of the culture that was winning, uh, you know, and they need to maybe, you know, reading between the lines, need to step up and, and take over here. Uh, he said 
he focused in both interviews about how, you know, we got to stop being so weird and inconsistent at home and we got to make this place a tough place to play again. Uh, he talked again about Tage and Sammy Boy and Kyrou and Thomas. Uh, and, you know, he was he was asked by Bernie because he hadn't mentioned Coaston, which he didn't do in the press conference either. Uh, and he was asked specifically about Coaston, and he said Coaston's inclu- exclusion was more of an oversight than anything else, but he's an 18-year-old who could also push for a spot. It felt very uh, like a convenient oversight twice, and that <laughs> makes me wonder if Coaston's a guy that maybe he's more willing to trade at the moment, but I don't know that to yeah. be a fact. I'm just reading between or the lines. Or at very least sees him as what he kind of is, more of a project yeah. than anybody yeah, else. Yeah, which I agree. Uh, and then he said, um, you know, finally was asked about the accountability. He said, we're not any more determined than we were last year or the year before because we haven't, we still haven't won a cup, you know, so the fire's still there. Uh, but he said, we have to respect the NHL way more this year than we respected it, or next year than we respected it this year, which was interesting. And he just, in general, seems to take a lot more of the blame than Mike Yo does, which is, I don't think, accurate to what, <laughs> what is actually, who's actually to blame necessarily. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a fair, there's some split there. Uh that's all I really have. We can just kind of chat if there's anything more you want to say. But I know Thomas is doing incredibly well in the playoffs. Uh, he has 12 points in eight games for Hamilton. Uh, Bill Armstrong says he has a 10 out of 10 hockey sense. He really thinks the game at a high level. Obviously, there are some strength issues and some maturity issues, which all junior kids have before they're ready for the NHL. But I'd have to say, as a staff right now, it looks like he's at the highest hockey sense we've seen because of how quick he thinks the game with or without the puck. Um, There's hope for the future. (laughs) That's all I want to say. Robert Thomas is the golden boy that will carry us into the new new millennium, which it's already welcome to. He's going to live forever. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the more I hear about Robert Thomas, the more I instinctively pump the brakes. I'm like, or maybe not. They're like, oh, he's really good. I'm like, or maybe not. We don't know. Who's to say? Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to this summer because I think if you thought last summer was pretty special with the Braden Shen trade, I don't know if you're going to get anything more crazy than that, but I do think, what, we basically got one player in a trade, more or less, right? As far as I can tell, one impact uh-huh. player. Yeah. I think you'll see, I think we're going to see two or three trades this summer. Yeah, I agree. I'm really excited. They might not be as crazy as a Braden Shen trade, but I think, like we mentioned, if we want to compete in this league, let alone just this division, we're going to need it. Yeah. And it seems like he knows that it's young guys could step up, but that that's not going to be that's the icing on the cake scenario. That's not necessarily a, oh, that's what we expect. Cuz God knows that's an bite in the butt. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be really fun off season. Uh you and I haven't kind of sidebarred and figured out what our coverage is going to look like. Oh god, know, who knows. I know last year we did bi-weekly or bi-monthly which are the same thing. The one that means every two weeks. It's very confusing, our languages. Uh, I don't know what we'll do this year because we started at the draft last year, but we'll, 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 we'll discuss. Unprecedented you territory. Us on Twitter, you're going to keep in touch. You're going to hear these two episodes. You can't be too mad about that. It's two episodes in one day. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's been a really fun season with all the ups and downs. Uh, I have loved doing this, meeting all of you rabid two guys, no cup fans <laughs> out there. Uh, 
We got t-shirts coming. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and all sorts of big plans for the off-season in terms of some of the stuff we want to do uh, to make this an even better product podcast mm-hmm. for you to enjoy uh, and, you know, bring you all on board with, you know, more of a community and stuff like that. So we're going to do all that and we're going to get to work. It's going to be a fun off-season. Uh, we will get you all details through Twitter and through the podcast as we record them. I imagine we'll do some stuff during the playoffs. I don't know what it'll look mm-hmm. like, but that's just uh, my guess. And, uh, yeah, I guess until next time, as they say in Japan, arigato. And now you have to say goodbye in some way. <laughs> Sayonara. How do you say ba- bye in Creole? I'm just going to say Creole. bonjour or something. Ah, see y'all later, folks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>